Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we're going to have a lot of fun telling you what exactly we do as professional Kabbalistic tarot readers. Do we predict? Are we mediums? What exactly have we been doing for 25 years? (laughs) So it's going to be a really fun discussion. And this way you'll get to know us a little bit better because we've really never done something like this. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our broadcast. And hopefully all our tech will work right today. We've been struggling with it the last couple of weeks. Um, we've got some great shows coming up. Uh, next week, we have our good friend Craig back on and from Haunted by History. And we'll be talking about Harry Houdini, his connection to Halloween and seances and hauntings and so forth. And and it's always a fascinating character. So I think both Craig and Houdini are fascinating characters, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, and then Kristen Harris will end the month, and she's our historian friend from Salem, Massachusetts. And we'll be talking about the uh, Salem witch hunts and witch trials. And so that's always going to be a lot of fascinating topics for Halloween, too. And then coming into November, we're going to have some great guests and finishing out and then hiatus in December. So we're getting close to the end of our season. So thank you guys for tuning in um, and supporting us. If you're on our website and you get the chance, it's SixthSenseSociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, And if you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It does help us a little bit. But the biggest thing you can do to help is to share and subscribe and tell your friends about us and get them to subscribe. And that really helps us to grow and gets YouTube to pay attention to us, and that's one of the most important things you can do to support the show. So don't want to take up any more time, because we do have a lot of ground to cover today, and I'm looking forward to this. So I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great, Michael. Yes, we have a couple of really great shows to close out October. Can't wait. So I wanted to start with uh, something uh, particular, because recently somebody asked me, and this has been asked before, if you can actually predict with the tarot. In fact, it was more like does the tarot predict? And I've heard that in sort of variations and themes, including from another reader years ago who used the tarot, but not for specifics, and that the tarot was no good at that. And I've also read in books uh, that are kind of about the esoteric side of the tarot, which I enjoy a lot, um, that it's sort of like a uh, poo-pooed that you would use the tarot for such a low thing and it's always I've always found it very offensive and also completely inaccurate because I think the tarot as a reflection of life can do many things but it, it it comes down to really it's a tool and it's the reader who knows how to use the tool and, and Michael and I can tell you having done probably at least 50,000 clients uh, over the years together combined, that it's a fascinating and a very complex tool that 
if you respect it and you actually are open to learning about it, it will teach you even how to use it. So I, I find that, yes, absolutely, you can predict with the tarot. It's a prediction. I, I responded by saying, well, you know, there's a lot of things people predict all the time. The stock market, doctors predict if you're going to live or die. And no one says, oh, can you do that? <laughs> and prediction's part of life. And so why would tarot not be able to do that? Yeah, I, I think that people also don't quite understand fully what prediction is. And, and I think that they're looking at it as some kind of an absolute, and that's not really what prediction is. Um, prediction really, and, and to me, again, this is my own view, I suppose, on it, it's really based on probability. And I think when a tarot reader or another person makes a prediction, much like the weatherman, he's taking as many factors as they can into account. And the mystery is how do we gather that information through the tarot? What is that psychic process? And we can sort of talk about that too, or at least my theory on that. But we're, we're compiling all the data and we're looking at the tendencies and trends. And then we're talking about probability. We're saying of all the things which could potentially happen, this is the most likely thing to occur when it's the most likely to happen and so forth. Um, and many times you're right, you know, occasionally the second most likely thing will happen. Just like what the weatherman says, it's an 80% chance to, it will rain today, there's a 20% chance he's going to be wrong, you know, no matter what. So, so I think that that's a healthier way to understand it is probability as opposed to maybe ironclad prediction. Um, but there are definitely times where we've predicted things, and, and the ones that fascinate me are the ones where the person couldn't possibly influence the outcome of the event. Because um, you can say, look, you know, you're going to meet a tall, dark-haired stranger with the initial N. Suddenly, you know, the only people you're paying attention to are tall, dark-haired people with the letter N. So, so to me, some of that could be suggestion. But there, there was one example, and I always use this, and I'm not bragging about it, but it was one of the most touching, you know, cases that I've had in my 25 years. And the one that maybe is the most special to me was this guy I read for way, way back before cell phones. And he called up on a landline in the spring, and he was talking to Krista. I wasn't home. And he said, your husband won't remember me, but he did a reading for me back in the fall. He said, the last thing I asked about was travel. And he looked at the tarot and the reading, and he said, everything looked great but January. And January didn't look good, but everything else was fine. So he said, based on that reading, he said, I, I literally canceled all of my travel plans in January. And he said, every January I spend visiting my friends in Haiti, I would have been there for the earthquake, and the hotel that I was staying at, always stayed at, was demolished. I would have probably been killed. And the tarot saved my life, you know, that particular reading. And again, that's not to brag, but it's just a, it's fascinating how, again, why... January, and, and it wasn't a guess, you know, there, there are, there's calculations, there's things in the reading that I'm looking at and doing the math in my head and adding up and looking at tendencies. And I'm not going to say I knew there was going to be an earthquake or anything like that, but I just knew something didn't feel right about that particular time. And if you think about it, even the odds aren't great because I, there are 12 months in the year, which means I had a 1 in 12 chance of being right, which isn't even really good odds. But, but again, you know, and it wasn't a lucky guess. It was, there was definitely something in the reading that really highlighted that. So for me, absolutely, it can make prediction. But when we're dealing with people, people are crazy, <laughs> and, and for lack of a better way of putting it. So we've seen people go out and do the exact opposite of all the advice we've given in the reading or something else. And we're, we're sort of, you know, that sort of throws off the calculation. So we, I always tell people, you know, you still have to do the work. And all we can do is give you advice and tell you which we, we think is the best way to approach something to have the best chance of a good outcome. But you still have to do the work. And some people just don't. And so you can have a wonderful period in your life for getting a new job. And if you never fill out a job application, it's probably not going to do you a whole lot of good. So so a reading is only there to give advice. You still have to do the work. It's true. And I wanted to add, first of all, you can see we, we do do predictions. We're not afraid to stick our necks out because guess what? You are going to be wrong. And sometimes recently I was dead wrong about something to the point that 
I wasn't, I don't really mind being wrong myself, but I was really a little bit confused that the tarot had hidden things so much so that I didn't see something particular with a, a long-term client. And that does happen. And, and it can be anomalies, like, like, just like you have in statistics, you have the outliers. Um, I agree with Michael, it's a probability, but we, um, we enjoy looking at the probabilities, including with timing. But I also wanted to say, add to what Michael said about getting these specifics. I remember one of my touching stories, not quite as dramatic as Michael's, but it was touching, was um, a woman came to me who ended up being a client for a while, and she just wanted to know something about when she'd see a friend. And it was, again, before cell phones. And I didn't know anything about the backstory, just that she wanted to know when she was going to see this friend of hers. And I looked at it and I said, well, it looks like about three months. You're probably just going to bump into that person in the street somewhere in a corner and didn't think twice about it. She t turns out I was right, but she hadn't told me she hadn't been able to find this person for years. And in a way, I'm glad she didn't because it would have put a lot of pressure on me. I just thought it was like, you know, when are we going to see each other? You know, just kind of a casual thing. And and it happened pretty much the time frame and um, how. The how was amazing, too. That, And I remember thinking, like, I didn't really get that psychically. Uh, I got that through this con this process, like Michael says, of analysis that, that can include psychicism. I'm not going to say, like, I might have a strong feeling or intuition, but there is this analysis that we do that's based on, first of all, years of experience, the pattern in front of us, Kabbalah, which also divides it into three main paths, and that helps us with path changes and timing and that kind of thing. Uh, but to me, I've, I, I don't think I started out as strong as I've gotten with prediction because it takes some time and skill to be able to, to look at all these different factors quickly. Uh, but I, I, I did want to sort of say that is one thing that not every tarot card reader wants to do, and that's fine. But what I don't appreciate is when they put it down and they say you can't do it or worse, that you should never do that. And why? Why would I not want to do that? Maybe there's some topics that, that are sort of off limits uh, in terms of prediction that are offensive or, or uh, unethical. But I don't see why it's necessarily a lower form of the tarot. And, and you know, the tarot is this deep tool. Well, yes, but it, it, it's like it's got all kinds of things in it. it. You know, you can ask it if you should go to the movies. And uh, maybe you just don't want to waste your money. I, I'm not against that per se in that you can ask it frivolous questions and you can ask the tarot profound questions and it'll tell you if it wants to like give you an answer. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to mention too and something you said struck on this is I do think at times the tarot will lie to you for your own good. <laughs> um, and I think we ran into that when we moved to, to Los Angeles. You know, Krista and I were um, sitting in Nova Scotia in a pub, and I said, let's go visit your folks in L.A. and so we're in California. So we, we piled whatever we could fit into our little car, gave away everything else, and traveled across country with a couple hundred bucks to our name and started in Los Angeles with a place to stay for a couple weeks and about $20 in cash. So it wasn't actually the best thought out plan in the world. And so we, we definitely struggled a little bit at the beginning and it was a lot of 99 cent hamburgers and figuring out a way to do a little reading here and there or something else to make an honest dollar and we kind of survived. And then when we finally got to a better place and we realized, okay, this is where we needed to be, that there's a lot going on here that is important to us. And it was the right decision to come here. There was no doubt about that. Um, 
But Krista said, had we known how difficult it was going to be, would we have gone? And I said, absolutely not. That's why the tarot didn't tell us that. It basically said, oh, this will be easy. Go, have fun. Um, and it didn't really indicate the stress and the difficulty and the challenges because it didn't want to discourage us from basically doing the right thing. So I think the tarot was, was both right and wise. I agree with that. And I, I think it does sort of, I, I've said that to some people, sometimes it just leaves things out a little bit, or it kind of colors it a way that, oh, this is going to tempt them because we do think that they need to come. So I agree with Michael that it, it can do that. And um, it's, it's because the tarot itself, to me, is a very dynamic and interactive tool. And over the years, it's delightful because it's if you have a long-term relationship with the tarot, specifically if you use the Kabbalah with it, it just gets more interesting what it will tell you. And you'll never be bored. Uh, so to me, I'm always sort of tuning in to this energy that is within the tarot itself. And that's one reason why Michael and I tend to like to use uh tarot cards that are drawn from the lineage of the tarot. I'm not going to say that there aren't any innovative decks out there that can't be oracles, but there's something about you you do sort of tap into the lineage that the tarot has justly earned, not unlike astrology. And I, I have come to respect it. I didn't know anything about the tarot's history or the lineage when I first started and I got interested in it. Uh, but I, I think that's one reason why the deck itself, there are some decks, I don't know how people can even use them because, for instance, the cards just look so much alike that it's hard to see any any contrast. Yeah, and I mean, what makes a good tarot deck? I think it's basically its ability to capture the human experience. So I think a tarot deck, a good deck, should be able to move you a lot emotionally, make you excited, make you anxious, make you scared, make you joyous, you know, and so forth. And because I think it has to capture the entire experience. So I think if a deck, deck is too dark or too fluffy and just the balance isn't quite there, I've, I've never quite favored those particular decks. I, I really do look for a certain balance in a tarot deck. Um, I think that's important. And then again, touching on the idea of the Kabbalah. And, and tarot to me is a pictorial representation of the Kabbalah. And I think it's a, it's a really good idea. Sure, you can read it by just looking at the images and you know, whatever inspires you intuitively and so forth. And, and that's not necessarily not legitimate. But I do think that if you have that understanding of Kabbalah, I think that you see the cards in a much more disciplined way, a much deeper way, a much more holistic way. Um, so they're not always just good or bad cards, particular ones. Um, I think it definitely helps with timing. So it's really helped us a lot with our timing. Um, and then I also think that it gives your reading so much more consistency. And, and I, I think that, you know, having that discipline sort of structure underneath of a reading, I think it really does give you that advantage of every reading being a lot more consistent. And, and I think over the years, that's really paid off for us. I totally agree. And, and the other thing I really enjoy about the Kabbalah is, I mean, the tarot itself gives advice, but Kabbalah gives even more advice depending on what pillar you're on. And it's so it's so easy to learn that part. And I have personally benefited when I was going through, like, say, a difficult card, and I was actually in, in the experience, I thought to myself, what would Kabbalah tell me to do? And then I did it, and it worked. And so I was like, the first time, I'm like, wow, that actually worked. So what I, I like about the Kabbalah is it adds this deepening of advice, which is another pet peeve I have. I, I have heard people say that they never give advice to people 
um, when they come for readings. And I thought, well, what if they come and ask you specifically for advice? Not everybody does, but there's nothing wrong inherently in, in giving advice because that's all it is. It's advice. It's not like you must do this or if you don't do this, it's going to happen this way. And uh, one of the things Michael and I were talking about before the show is that it, it takes a little bit of chutzpah to do all this because you can look like a donkey, you know? <laughs> and and so I, again, so you have to really not have a huge ego around, oh, I must be always right or I must always give the most profound advice. And no, I mean, you're, you're going to learn as a reader yourself doing readings. I have certain clients that have totally taught me how to be a better reader. And I think it's a journey uh, being a reader. It's a calling. And I, I think that the tarot can give absolutely wonderful advice. Yeah, I can. Um, I just wanted to share the story of what Chris and I still think to this day the worst tarot reading we've ever received. And and uh, we just moved here, as I said, and we, we were struggling financially. And we finally got into a bit better place. And there was a, and I'm not going to mention names for the sake of not, not incurring wrath from anyone. But there was a, a famous author coming through in the witch community and, you know, doing readings at a, a bookstore. Um, and so Chris and I figured we can afford this. You know, we want to go get a quick little reading and, and we'll pay for it. Part to meet her, but also we were just really interested in her take on things and, you know, where we were heading in life and so forth. So we paid our, our dollars that we could barely afford for a reading. And she drew a couple of tarot cards. And her reading consisted of looking at us and saying, what do these mean to you? <laughs> and it's like... You know, bitch, I just paid you a bunch of money for your opinion, and, and I wanted to hear your opinion. I may or may not agree with it, but I really wanted to hear your thoughts and opinion, and I, I know what I think. And But that was the, literally the extent of the reading, was to look at the cards and ask the person what they thought about it. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that was so disappointing. So, so you have to be always careful when you meet your heroes. It, it doesn't always turn out the way that you hope. That was super disappointing. I, I mean, I was, and I was fairly new in the witch world, and I, I still respect this person's uh, books, and the, the, the work that they did uh, for the community and still do. But it was, I also remember that the person was just kind of walking around while they, they were doing that. And there was no sort of real engagement with us, no enthusiasm and passion. And, and I'd been to readers before, uh, many amazing, really helpful readers that, that have helped me make decisions. So for me, it was a total letdown. Yeah, and then the other thing I, I think, and it kind of you know comes back to, and maybe she was just scared to voice her opinions and be wrong, but, um, but regardless. But I, I do think that the thing that I've noticed or, or found out when I started this, um, the gravity of the readings we do, um, and they're not all light and fluffy. You know, people often have very serious issues, very profound issues, and they're seeking you out for your advice. And it is a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility as a reader. And I think that there are times where we agonize, Krista and I, over did we give the right opinion and advice on that particular reading? And and because you realize it's it's really not a, a joke you know people are seeking you out when sometimes they have great crisis in their life or that there's certain things that are, are very desperate um and you're trying your best to give them the right advice based on the reading and it's not something coming from within it, it really is the reading we look at the cards we analyze the cards we trust what the cards are telling us and so forth so it is coming from the reading it's not just a, a guess on our part um, but you really do hope it's right, because as I said, there, there is a great gravity to a lot of what we do. And I can see why some people would struggle with that, because it, it is. And then I suppose there are other people who have no conscience at all that could care less if they screw up someone's life. And I, I always worry. I always say that ego has no place in, in readings. And if the reader has too big an ego, they end up hurting people. 
It's so true. The gravity of what people come to with us, I, I guess I didn't really think about it until I became a reader. I, I've had questions like, should I get an abortion? Should I leave my marriage? Is quite a common one, which is a big deal. And uh, and then I you, you deal a lot with real trauma and real tragedy. Uh, and even that, even if you're not really giving advice, just the fact that you're there to witness. I've heard some really horrific stories and uh, it's it's something, even the tarot can help you with that, you know, in terms of if you need help, it can it can be support for you because I, I can use it to look at my own issues and look at my own state of mind and see where I'm at. And, and sometimes, you know, there can be situations I just can't answer and I will tell people if I don't do something. So one of the things Michael and I are, are known for is just being really frank and honest about what we can and cannot do. And um, I'll just tell people straight up, no, I don't do that. Or if it's something someone else does, then I'll try and recommend something. And people really like that. You don't have to be everything for all people. So if you don't speak to the dead, it's fine. Just say, hey, I don't do that. You know, if you do with the tarot, great, because you certainly can. Uh, and I think that is very much part of our our sort of, I guess, values is that we're very honest. I've even said things where... Um, someone's come back and told me, you know, something happened in the relationship that I really can't figure out why it happened. And I'll just say, well, it wasn't in the tarot that way. And I don't know why, but I've come to the conclusion that sometimes there's even things that are not in the tarot that happen. And, and it, it's, 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 it, it just does, you know, I say, well, this person's acting against themselves is how I'll say, because it'll be so different. It won't be some sort of nuance I missed because I really trust the tarot, not myself, but the tarot and the Kabbalah. Yeah, and then I, I think sometimes, too, with readings, um, it's just not the right time to get the reading. And I've had that experience before, and maybe the person is asking a question when there's key things that haven't yet sort of even begun to develop that you're going to need to know to make a prediction. And so it just is kind of fuzzy, and, and you just really have no idea. Um, I generally I try and, and tell people how confident I feel in something. So I'll say, look, this is, I think, 80% likely, or this is a 50-50 thing, and try and give them some sense of that as well. But I remember early on I had this, and, and this is why also because of the timing of reading, I, I think we don't put people to get readings we don't necessarily advertise a lot we I, it's important to us that the person feel inspired to reach out to us and that comes from within them in a very honest and, and a very genuine way and because then then it's the right time to do the reading and they shouldn't feel pressured or forced or coerced and I remember when I first started this again 25 years ago this woman came to me and said your friends my friends got readings and they said you were great and I got some stuff going on I'm not really sure I wanted a reading today but they insisted and we did spread after spread and just nothing connected and I could tell it just wasn't making any sense so I said well clearly I'm not going to charge you for this and she said no I know what you're doing you know what you're doing but she said I also knew it wasn't the right time to do the reading so she said I'll be back when it's the right time and about two weeks later she walked in she I'm ready for my reading now. Boom, one spread of cards was just crystal clear about everything going on. And, and so I thought that was a very good lesson in, in trying. And I think that that's important if you're getting readings. Don't let yourself get pressured into getting a reading. It, it should be something where you just generally feel that this is something you want to do. I absolutely agree with that. That's happened to me too, where the person like was with a friend and the friend said, hey, you should get the reading next. And the person's like, oh, no, I don't really feel like it today. And the one time I, I let it happen, the cards just seemed all jumbled. 
And I, I just said, you know what, why don't you just wait? You know, if you want to get a reading, wait till, you know, like Michael said, because she just didn't want the reading. Uh, and so that that's, and, and then also, again, not really actively pursuing people for readings. We don't ethically believe in that for a variety of reasons. And also it's just not as effective. A person will seek you out when they want a reading, if they ever want a reading is how I see it. Yeah. Now, now, another thing with Krista and I that we've always kind of maintained is we don't like to do really short readings, you know, five minutes, two minutes, three minutes. And sometimes at parties, they want you to do, you know, three minute readings. And realistically, it's not that not possible. Um, so I think 15 minutes is minimum uh, per person. Um, but for me, again, and that's partly for us in, in the sense that I want a reading I do for somebody to be enough quality that it makes a good impression on them. Um, and I know that if I'm going to do a two-second thing, that they're not going to be that inspired by it or impressed by it. So it's not really helping our, our reputation at all. So I think, again, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to get a two-hour reading from a tarot reader. And in most cases, 15 to 30 minutes is plenty. Um, and if a reader can't do a really good reading in 30 minutes, then, you know, and again, if you love the reader and they're not charging too much, and you want to spend a whole hour getting a reading from them, go for it. But I, I think in most cases, 15 to 30 minutes should be plenty. Yeah, I, I agree with not having really short ones. It's it's just, I don't know what you can really get done. And it's extremely stressful, actually, to do them uh, because you're going through so quickly. But I just don't think you get to the heart of anything. And, and certainly if you're doing it for yourself, I'm just looking at the day, but that's different. You're just playing around looking for the day. It's not really a, a reading per se. Um, so I, I agree with that. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, sort of our style of reading, like for instance, using layouts versus there are, particularly if you see on YouTube, there are people that just have no layout and um, they'll use different decks and they'll pull cards and then they'll try and piece it together. And personally, I've listened to enough that it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me not to have some kind of a structure layout. Um, and what it does is it because each um, position means something, it also helps you to focus and organize the energy. Uh, and I, I read once in a, a book, uh, no, it was actually on a website about people that have Neptune retrograde like I do. They can be quite psychic or clairvoyant, but they need sometimes something to focus it all. And that's really true. When you have this tool that allows you to kind of pour the energy into it through these layouts, which you don't need a whole lot of, and, and you can make up your own, by the way, it, it adds this layer of organization that helps you to be more organized yourself and also gives you a more stable uh, energy um, in approaching readings. So I'm not really sure that that's really effective. Not I, I think it might be good to not have layouts if you're a super analytical person and you just need to break out of that habit. But uh, for instance, the Celtic cross has been around for at least since Waits' time and layouts of some kind have been used for quite a long time and very effectively. Yeah, I wanted to address something that our friend Dawn was saying on the chat. Hi there, by the way. And uh, she's using the deck more as a meditation tool where she's taking um, a card in a night and sort of almost contemplating or meditating on it and taking the lessons that come with that. And that's another valuable way to use the tarot, to be honest, is that it's a great tool for something like that to sort of help you to, to have greater insight. And she said that was very worthwhile, and I think so too. Um, she also said she's in bed smoking. We're not going to encourage that. That's not necessarily the safest practice. We want her to be safe. Um, 
but it's your life. Do as you please. Um, but anyway, that's great. And then, I, you know, something Krista did with that, which I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was to put the card under your pillow and sleep with it at night, too. And so I'm going to kick it back to Krista, and maybe she can tell you some of the things that happened with that. Oh, yes. The tarot is super flexible how you use it. And yes, I got, you know, I'm very much into Aleister Crowley's deck now, and I'm completely devoted to it. And so I thought I'd get to know the court cards better. And since I like dream work, I decided to put a court card under my pillow at night for I think it was about a week per court card and see what kind of dreams I got. And I had, and it was really fascinating. I mean, it, it worked, but it almost worked too much. I didn't even understand some of the dreams, but I did chronicle it. And uh, I'm going to do it again at some point. Uh, so you can certainly, the tarot, I mean, as a meditation tool is, is absolutely brilliant. It's not something we generally do with people, but I have advised people that come to me. So sometimes people come and say, hey, Krista, you know, I keep pulling the same card over and over again. I say, hey, why don't you meditate on it? If you don't know exactly why you're getting that card, why don't you, you know, get an image and put it by your bed or think about it and it will start to mean something to you. Because I think a lot of people that work with cards, especially tarot cards, have that happen. And it's, it's, so it's really interesting. The tarot is definitely reaching out to you and wants you to, to have a specific um, experience. And it's trying to give you some specific advice. Mine was the, a two. I had the two of discs for many, many years until I figured out what it was trying to tell me. And so it's really fascinating that way. So again, um, there are people that have their, you know, the Boda school is, is designed around meditation with the tarot and Kabbalah. And certainly uh, you can incorporate it even as a reader into readings, but it's not exactly how we maybe do it professionally, but certainly it's very valid. Yeah, and then, you know, individual cards as meditation, I think, is totally fine. Um, but I think if you're going to do any kind of an analysis kind of reading, if it's about your day or week or anything else, then please choose three. I, I think that it's about, tarot is about the patterns that the cards create. One card doesn't make a pattern. I think three or more is really where you start to see patterns in the tarot. So it's really the relationship between the cards that give you the reading. And so I think that I would always encourage people to choose three cards if they're doing a daily thing where they're going to try to apply it to their own life and what's going on as opposed to one and trying to understand and look at that greater pattern. Uh, the other thing that um, is really cool, and, and it's another great way to use the tarot, and I think you can use any deck really to do this, but there was a deck by Caitlin Matthews, the Arthurian tarot, and it's really cool because the, the tarot was created as sort of like a little um, archway and the way that she was drawing the cards, you could almost feel yourself drawn into it. And so the minor cards were just scenes. And you had the court cards, and you had the major cards. And so what she would do is she would divide them up into piles. So she'd have the minor arcana, she'd have the court cards, she would have the major. Um, and then she would randomly choose one from each pile. So the and use that as a creative thing to, to for storytelling. Um, so the, the scene card was the scene for the story. So it could be a nice summer day or a cold winter scene or something else. Uh, the court card was a person that would go on this journey with you. And then the the, the major card was the, the person or the lesson you would encounter on the journey. So it was really a neat way of, of creating inspiration for creativity. And, and I thought that was a wonderful exercise. And I do think you could use Crowley's deck for that and so forth. But I, I do think that the uh, that Arthurian tarot by Caitlin Matthews is just ideal for that. That's really cool. I totally forgot about that deck and how how beautiful it is too. It is it's a really lovely deck. And, and yes, you know, one of the uh, spreads I like to do uh, as a professional reader is more proactive. And so it's a nine card spread where let's say a person has a specific goal, whether it's an ideal or whether it's a specific like 
tangible goal, but they don't know how to get to that. So that is one thing I do do that's, it, it has a little sort of prediction in it, but largely it's like, how do I go about do this? What is the backstory of it? And what happens if I do this, you know? And that's very helpful. I've incorporated that into quite a few readings over the years. Uh, the, the tarot, uh, to me, the tarot is, in terms of using it, is is very versatile, honestly. You can, I remember one of our students decided just to use it for her own self-development and really enjoyed doing that, but she enjoyed learning uh, from us. It, it, it's just sort of the way we approach tarot and do readings, it just kind of happened for us. I can't even tell you, I didn't even really plan on doing tarot for a living. I did not even plan on being a predictive person. In fact, if I think about it, I wouldn't have thought I would be, you know, I, I don't know what I would have been, but it, it just sort of happened on its own. So this is sort of what the tarot wants us to do as well. And, and I did also want to talk a little bit about the fact that what we predict is probably what you might expect the most common questions most readers get about love, about health, about their career, about family, children, um, legal problems, that's a fairly, you know, sizable one too, their financial future. These are all super common questions that we basically can and will address. And there are some questions I do not address because either I'm not competent, I feel like, for instance, a man started coming to me and he had, um, he was investing in the stock market and he only wanted to get readings about different stock and I don't have a big background in the stock market, but I was getting things right. And he started relying on it a lot. And I just felt really uncomfortable because I felt it was going to at some point fail because I didn't feel I had enough experience understanding my topic. I felt I needed to know more about the stock market. I didn't want to at the time. So I told him I wouldn't do that. I'd look at his overall finances, but I would not go into the different stocks. And it was very early on in my career. And, and also because he was really heavily relying on it. And I just did not feel comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, and it should just be one piece of information um, that you put with any prediction. And there are ways to do that and, and that are double blind that really help a lot, too. So it, it's hard to be fearful if you don't know what you're talking about. So, um, so there are definitely ways that I construct readings where I actually don't know what we're talking about. And that makes it so that I can't bring my own biases and fears and and desires and so forth into the process, which is good. Um, Don also asked something about shuffling, and, and that brings us to an interesting topic of how readings are created. Um, and, and it really doesn't matter to a sense. The idea of synchronicity is you could, whatever the message is, is going to be what the message is in that moment, and, and you could toss the cards on the floor and pick up the first ten, and they'd be the right cards. So, so the method by which it's created, honestly, shouldn't matter, and it really doesn't. Um, having said that, I have my own preferences. And if I'm doing an in-person reading for someone, I like them to choose their own cards. Now, a tarot deck can be very unwieldy to shuffle, so I don't have them shuffle it. I'll tend to shuffle it, spread them out on the table, ask them to choose X number of cards, and let them select them. Um, but when I have to choose the cards, my concern is if it's a deck that I've used a lot, is that there can be imperfections in the cardboard on the back of the card. So that one that's got that little tiny nick or little bend, um, I sort of favor that one a little bit or I start avoiding it a little bit. And I think anything that int introduces subjectivity into the reading is not a great idea. You want to be as objective as possible. So what we do is if I have to do a phone reading for somebody or a video reading or something like that, or for myself, 
um, and I have to choose the cards, then we have a, a virtual deck that we use, and it's a great little program. I'll give a shout-out to it, or Felice Tarot, O-R-P-H-A-L-E-S-E, I think it's spelled. It's been around forever, and the guy that did it wasn't even doing it as a tarot project. He was learning coding, and he thought it would be a cool way to, to do a coding project, and he created this virtual tarot deck. Um, and it's fascinating, and it kind of mimics a deck really well. You can use it for free, up to three decks I think you can use on it. And if you pay a couple of dollars to register it, it's very inexpensive. You can use you know, hundreds of decks you can download. Um, but And again, unfortunately, it's for PC only, so you Mac folk are out of luck. You'll have to buy a cheap laptop to run it if you want to use it. But it's one of the best tarot programs we've ever run across. But the advantage to that is the back of the cards are always, it's exactly the same image. So it will be 100% uniform, and I can't cheat. I have no idea which is which when I choose them when they're face down. So to me, that that's kind of the default that we use when we have to do a reading where I have to choose the cards myself. I prefer a virtual deck to even a cardboard deck. Um, wasn't possible in the 1400s when Tarot was invented, but nowadays we can do that. But, but as I said, my typical method is, is if I'm doing a reading in person with somebody, is to shuffle myself, spread them out, and let them choose. And the other reason I like to do that is then it feels like they're consciously creating their own reading. They're selecting each and every card in the order that they're choosing them in. Um, as opposed to having it be just shuffling randomly and taking the top 10. Now, having said that, it should still work. You know, as I said, synchronicity being what it is, however it's created, shouldn't really make any difference. But I always like that feeling of the person kind of deliberately creating their own reading by choosing the cards from a face-down group of them. And, and I try and spread them as evenly as possible so that one isn't sticking out too much or in too much that might influence how they do it. The more uniform, the better. Um, just to take away, again, a little more subjectivity. But I, I found that was really the best way to do it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said. And, and another thing that's interesting about the virtual deck idea, um, recently I've had clients have been reading for, for years with the virtual deck say, uh, because they can see me now, well, I want you to re use real cards. And I said, to them, do you realize all these years on the phone that I've been doing now that, you know, they didn't see me before, now they can see me on Zoom and said, I've been using a virtual deck for 20 years. <laughs> and I said, they're, they're just as accurate. And in fact, they're easier to manage uh, and you, you can move more quickly with a phone reading. You know, you have that dead time you don't want to have. And so I have done at times um, the physical deck with the phone, and I found it very awkward. Uh, and I agree with Michael. As far as the shuffling, I think that it is very independent how people approach it. You can use shuffling as a small ritual that you create. So I know, for instance, someone that whenever they shuffle, they also sort of like knock on the deck uh, like three times on the on the table and she clears the cards that way. And it's her own, I don't know where she learned it, it's her own ritual. And so shuffling can also include your own particular ritual that you like to do that, that's easy to do without it being, you know, blatantly so in front of a person that may not appreciate you taking some of their reading to do prayers. <laughs> so that's the other thing. Um, the other obvious thing, thing about shuffling is just making sure it's well shuffled. So however you can do that between readings, uh, whether it's readings for yourself, making sure that you take the time to just mix the cards up well. And again, that's one of the advantages of the virtual uh, readings is that, um, you know, that, that you can't really have that error, I think, on the virtual readings. Um, and in fact, recently, I had the most astounding thing where a person picked the exact same card on two different occasions that was really significant and that was on a virtual deck so she couldn't have like seen a little bent corner in her eye and say i remember that from the last time so that that is true what michael said about using um 
uh, a physical deck. And, and one of the things, uh, another thing that, that I do is I change my deck up, a physical deck up if it gets too old. Despite the fact it feels really cool to see someone that's had a very old deck and all the cards are all aged and bent, unfortunately, it does kind of throw off the picking process because people will be drawn to certain I've watched it. They'll be drawn to certain cards because they have a little bent in it or something like that. So I change up my deck and get a new one if it gets too old or torn or wrinkled and doesn't shuffle quite as well. Yeah. And nowadays, unfortunately, you know, we do many more readings on Zoom and than we do in person um, since COVID. So things have definitely changed in that way. Um, but one thing I would do with an old deck when we're doing a lot of in-person readings, and there comes a point where it's just too worn out, you know, the cards stick, they're not really shuffling properly, and it just becomes cumbersome to use, and you just know it's time for a new deck. So so one of the things I would do whenever I would retire a deck is if I had a, a client that I'd had for a long time or a friend, um, is sometimes I would just gift the old deck to them as, as a, a keepsake, and um, they really appreciated that sometimes. So I think that was a really nice way of retiring a deck is to f- take someone special and just kind of say here you know you've gotten a lot of readings with this deck so you know here's your your gift and kind of give it to them um but i I think that um the other thing i wanted to talk about quickly are reversals and something you said inspired that um and Chris and I, basically, we don't use them. And there's two different schools in the tarot. Some people that see it as, a, as an added element and others that see it as an unnecessary complication. And we see it more as the latter. So, so we actually don't use reversals in, in interpretation. If there's a card that's reversed, I'll turn it right side up. And uh, I think there's a card for everything in the tarot. So if I want to talk about arrogance, why would I, talk, why would I choose a, a card that is, is you know, submissive and turn it upside down? Why not just choose an arrogant card, you know, since there's kind of one for everything? Um, and so that, that that's the case with us. And as I said, it, it is something that we haven't used in 25 years, and we've built a really good reputation for our readings. So clearly it isn't necessary. So, But if you do use them, good for you. It's just two different schools in the tarot and, and do what feels right to you. I agree. And I started out with reversals because remember, or maybe you don't know, we did not start with Kabbalah and tarot. We, we were in maybe a couple years before we met the Kabbalah. And from the very beginning, I found it awkward. And I dutifully would think, okay, what's the reverse of this meaning? Or then some people would say, oh, it's the internalized energy of the card. And it, it was, uh, and also visually, one of the things about the tarot, it's extremely visual, obviously. And when you have reversed cards, unless you have, there are some decks that have a different image, they're, I think they're more astro tarot decks. So you turn the card and the image is upright. So the, the idea that the image is not upright to me is disturbing. And um, because what happens when you look at a pattern and you gaze on the whole pattern is it, it, it speaks to you. The, the way the cards look at each other, like, you know, um, some of the court cards face each other, their faces. And, and so the reversals interrupt that experience that puts you into a, a trance and also it, it helps the storyline I find. So we found it not only uh, cumbersome, but personally, I don't, I don't think it was ever meant to be reversed because what, why would the, the images are important to look at, even if you know them. And unless, like I said, you have a deck that has an image when you reverse it, that's different Then I, I think that would be all right. Yeah. And then something else that I wanted to talk about really quickly before we go off air, um, which was a good thought, and now, now it's gone. Um, it'll come back, but it was a, a, 
Darn, I can't remember what it was that I wanted to mention now. So I'm going to feel like an idiot, so I'm going to kick it back to you until I remember, Krista. So okay, no back worries. To uh, so one of the things we talked about earlier, too, was this idea of looking for patterns. And that is one of the most fascinating things about having a spread. And the other thing I wanted to mention was nature through my other research, especially on recently on the number 369, and the idea that nature likes geometric patterns. And so creating a pattern is how you can pre predict things and, and also the idea of cycles, nature likes cycles. So one of the things that the tarot is very good at is looking at what kind of cycle you're in. Are you in a cycle of new beginnings? Are you in the middle of a difficult cycle and you're gonna be switching away from that, which is often easy to tell when people switch paths on the Kabbalah, you can see them switching the pathway with the cards. And so that to me is something we look for too, are these patterns and cycles uh, that fit with the Kabbalah and with the tarot. I remember what it was I wanted to talk about now. Um, something you said jogged my memory is that um, that question we touched on it a little bit earlier, and people will ask often, how does this work? You know, especially if they've had readings that have worked out really well for them and, you know, things have happened that are un unexplainable, and then, then they're always wondering, how does this work? So we'll get that question from time to time. And, uh, of course, there's a certain magic in it, so... Nobody knows really how it works, but I certainly believe it does or I would do something else. But but to me, there's two theories that I look at that I, I think have some bearing on it. And the first is the idea that as above, so below. And so there's an idea that at any given point in life that there's a big pattern of energy that's a major influence in your life. So maybe this week the pattern is good for communication. You call your friends, they answer right away. Next week it isn't, so you play phone tag with everybody all week long. And so, so we have these bigger patterns. So creating a tarot spread is creating a little pattern during that time. And so it's going to be a fragment of the bigger pattern that's going on in your life energetically. So by analyzing the little pattern, you end up being able to understand something about that larger pattern that's influencing your life at that moment. And, and, and most religions have something that alludes to that. You know, even in Christianity, in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, um, alludes to the idea of as above, so below. So that, that's one part of it. Um, the other part to me is the idea that and I'll probably misstate this, but it was at Schrodinger's cat, the experiment, and you put, and please, animal rights people, no cats were harmed, it's a thought experiment, so, but you put a cat in a box, and you have a choice of buttons, and one button the cat lives, the other button the cat is killed and dies, and so you select your button, and then the question is, is the cat dead or alive, and the answer is, until you open the box, the cat isn't both, or neither, um, it's sort of an in-between state, and on some level, are we able to with our, our expectations, our mind, our consciousness, determine the fate of the cat so it's not random as we open the box. If we expected the cat to live, it lives. If we expected it to die, it dies. Um, and so it becomes that. So in theory, when you're choosing the cards, they're all face down. So as you're selecting them, there's still any one of the 78. So is it conceivable that, that, that we can sort of influence reality just that little bit with our minds and expectations to create that moment where it becomes the reading that we need it to be to reflect whatever truth we need to express in that moment. So I really think it's the combination of those two things that is why it works. Um, but that would be my own theory. And, you know, I'm sure and quantum mechanics and physics keeps getting closer and closer to saying, yes, maybe there is a wisdom to some of this stuff. So and that always fascinates me. But but that would be my theory on how it works. Uh, I think that's really fascinating, the two theories together. Uh, and I I really, I, I especially, well, I agree with both of them, really. And then I also think that um, the concept of flow and synchronicity plays in. And Carl Jung, when he did his experiments on synchronicity, 
uh, actually looked at astrological charts, and he was, um, you can read it, he does these statistics about what aspects are likely to produce a marriage. And he found some statistical things that were really interesting, though I don't think he finished the experiments. And that idea that the right cards come up to represent that person. And, and one of the reasons I, I find that to be true is like, let's say I pick cards for myself and then I go to a reader and, and they have the same cards. They'll say, you know, that used to happen with Shane. He'd say, well, I got those same cards this morning. Now he had a different deck. I didn't know what those cards were. And, and it's not uncommon for people to say that to me. I couldn't make that happen or I'd probably be making a million dollars as a magician. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and I've seen that happen a lot too, where people, we used to have a, a guy, Ian, back in Nova Scotia, um, who grew fond of both of us. And Krista was reading at our friend's bookstore and I was reading a little coffee shop a couple blocks down the street. And he would he'd get a reading every week, every other week. And so he kind of became a regular and he got to know us and he got to even know the tarot quite a bit by just kind of hanging out with us. So he would get a reading from Krista and then he would wander down the street and get a reading from me. And he said it was amazing how many times that the same cards or at least an incredibly similar pattern would be there. And he always found that quite remarkable. Yeah, he got very interested, I think, in how the tarot worked. And he was one of the people we gave a deck of cards after a year because we figured he'd earned it. I remember that. He was such a lovely person. And he, he, did, he did like to see that. And he wouldn't tell us anything. In fact, we didn't even know initially he was doing that. He later kind of told us that, and uh, he didn't. So he didn't put it in our head what what Michael had said, or tell Michael what I had said, and so he was just kind of fascinated, I think, with how it all worked. And then another piece of advice I would give to a reader is: you are not obligated to read for anybody you don't want to read for. So if you find somebody is distasteful or so off-putting, or you just feel like you can't be objective, and, and it's nothing wrong with, with saying, "Look, I, I'm not going to read for you." Um, and I've done that with a handful of people, you know, I, one guy, one guy was very funny. It was at the, the Bodhi tree and he wandered in off the street. He was really kind of, you know, breaking my balls over being a reader and how it was all bogus and BS and so forth. And so I let him say his piece, you know, um, and then at some point, a few minutes into his diatribe, this guy, a client that I'd read for walks in off the street and, oh, that last reading, man, it was so good. It exactly happened the way the reading said. And thank you, thank you, thank you. And off he went. And that person, at that point, the guy asked me for a reading. And it's like, nope, <laughs> you know, you, you had your chance and you've blown it, but it's not going to happen. But, but I, I think that, um, but if you do decide that there's a reason that you don't want to read for someone I think it's a good idea to kind of let them know what that reason is because um, you don't want them to think that maybe you're not going to read for me because you see something really, really tragic and bad and mm. you just don't want to tell me. So I would always say, look, I, I just feel like I'm not in a good place today. I've, I've got the flu and, you know, and that's why I really don't feel like I want to read for you at the moment or, or at least give them some explanation as to why I think that they deserve that if you say no. But, but as I said, if you feel like you can't be objective, if you're not feeling well, never feel obligated that you have to read for someone. That's a very important point, and we're pretty open to all kinds of people. And one of my um, things is if someone comes to me and right away argues with me, this has happened. I have literally not said anything. They have not sat down. I give them a choice. I say, hey, you know, I can't do a reading if you're just going to argue with me. So you can either not get a reading or you can just let that go. And it's gone both ways. One person, I think, just didn't know they were being sort of aggressive. And it's just one of my things. I'm like, I, I am not here to prove anything. You can have a perfectly good life without having a tarot reading with anybody. 
I am not here to prove the tarot works. I'm not here to, you know, make you believe in me. That's not why I'm here. My relationship actually primarily is with my love of the tarot and the Kabbalah. And wherever that takes me, and it's taking me to doing readings, that's where I'm going to go. So I think one of the things, Michael and I, we don't feel like we have to defend ourselves. We don't feel the need to do that because we are what we are. You can take it or leave it. We're, we're you know, we're going to do our best. Always like, you know, one of the things you can expect from both of us, we give every reading I ever do, I give 100%, meaning the 100% I can give that day because some days you're tired, right? But I always approach a reading with giving my 100% attention and devotion to it because I love doing what I do. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I, we were just watching an interview with uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and the producer of his new album, which is phenomenal, by the way, um, if you're an Aussie fan, even if you're not, it's phenomenal. But he was saying that they, they did a, a, a first recording, first pass of the song, and then uh, Ozzy does a, an overdub. And so he, he said, okay, let's do it back. And he said, and just immediately in one take, it was like, there's Ozzy, you know, boom. And Ozzy said, well, I've been doing this for 50 years. If I don't know what I'm doing now, I may as well quit, right? And so it's kind of the same with Krista and I. I think, of, you know, hundreds, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of readings that we've done. If we didn't have confidence in what we're doing at this point, then we should just quit. Because So I, I don't think we feel the need to prove anything to anyone at this point. Um, and even in the beginning, we probably didn't really feel the need all that much. We were just much more enamored with the process and curious about it and so forth. But I, I've never felt the need to kind of prove anything to anyone. And that's what it, that's interesting about the tarot, too. What I like about the tarot compared to other modalities, because I'm also a palm reader, but it's very different, and astrology is very different, is that it's this great equalizer. So because when you sit down for a reading, let's say in person, it's maybe easier to see, you have the person across from you and you, and you're both looking at the cards. And it's this neutral space that it creates. And, you know, as long as you don't make yourself too important that, that I step back, I'm not Krista, I am the translator of this amazing system. And it neutralizes this power differential. And that's why people sometimes will tell you things like I've had people tell me things they don't tell their therapists. And it's not that the therapist is bad. It's the process is, is so interesting and opens up the conversation very quickly. And uh, so that's, that's, you know, something I noticed from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I've learned from the tarot is how much like we all are, in the sense, rich or poor, famous or not, um, school teacher to policeman to movie star. Um, in the end, we just want to be happy. And, and I, I think that most people define that as wanting to have something meaningful to do with their lives and something that has value or meaning to them, and then someone to share that experience with. And I think if people have those two things, then I, I think that they find life is happy. But I think in the end, I, I think everyone basically just wants to be happy. And, and I always tell that the, the, the reading is going to try and help you with that. It's going to try and give you some guidance, give you advice. I always tell new people that there's no such thing as a bad reading, just bad readers. Um, and that while being honest with a person, because I think you do have to be honest, you know, you're trying to help them. And I think denial is not a good long-term strategy. So I think by being dishonest, you're not really helping the person. But, but I think within that framework of honesty, it's either good news or good advice. It's either you're doing great or maybe here's some suggestions for how I would approach things or change things that might start to move things in a better direction. But, but I, I think it's just good news or good advice, and it has to be one of the two. Another thing that, that Michael and I work on as readers and have always been um, very aware of is conscious of our words. 
And I think that you can be very good at understanding a tool, but how you deliver uh, the message is extremely important. And this is not to put pressure on you, but it really does matter. And, and I don't think it's talked about enough in, in the tarot world is uh, because sometimes the words I pick based on the tarot, I'm looking at the tarot and I think this is what comes to me. These are the words that I hear looking at this pattern. And, and people will say interesting things like uh, one person came back and told me how deeply comforting my words were that I had no idea. And I was, I almost cried because I didn't have any idea. I was simply looking at the pattern and saying, what are the words that this, this describes? And Michael's the same way. We're very aware of the fact that each, even, even a change of a sentence or the, the rewording of something is part of the reading itself. Yeah, and I mean, words have power. Obviously, we believe that. And and I do think as a reader, you want to choose your words wisely. And, and it, plus, it's it's not just about, um, you know, not scaring the person or something like that, but also how they'll take that information in, you know. Um, and you could say, look, this is going to be a major problem or this is going to be a challenge. Um, now, you're saying the same thing. You're saying that this is going to take some time and some effort. And it's going to be a little bit difficult to overcome this. But the word problem might imply failure, whereas the word challenge might imply something I can actually work through or overcome. And so so for me, again, you know, words definitely should be chosen very deliberately and very specifically. Um, and try, to, again, not to leave room for ambiguity. Try and some some words people will read into. And so you're, you're trying to be as clear with this is what I actually mean as opposed to sort of tossing something out there that they're going to be able to interpret any way they want and don't be afraid if you hear them if they they um say you say something they say back what they heard and it wasn't what you said i'll say no that's not what i said and i'm not correcting them saying look you can think that but this is what i said and not everybody does that but when they do and i know exactly what i just said uh, they're 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 sort of twisting my words somehow. I just politely say, well, that's not what I meant, or it's actually usually what I said. Literally, they've changed it already, and you certainly have no control over that. You there's no way you could ever have any control how people take what you say. Um, but I, I do feel words have a big power. Having said that, as I get older, my my Aquarius rising wants to be like the crazy old reader and I'm going to like have all these dramatics and sort of gasp and look at the cards and, and have some fun with it when I'm like 90. <laughs> so I, I guess for me to end, because I know we're coming to the end, um, just some advice when you're getting a reading is be open to it, be open to the information you're going to receive. Try not to go in with any expectation of what you're going to hear. Um, take the information that comes. If, if it resonates with you, apply it. If it doesn't, it's okay to reject it. Um, you, you don't have to feel like obligated to do what a reader tells you to do. Um, but try and be, be neutral at, at taking it in. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think use it as a, another source of information, another tool, but you still have to live life. And, and I think if you become to the point you can't decide what restaurant to go to without consulting three different psychics, that's a problem. So, so you know, general readings I'll do for myself once or twice a year. And that's it. You know, if something specific comes along, Kristen and I are thinking about buying a new car this week. We'll maybe draw some cards to see whether it's a lemon or not. You can do those kind of readings anytime you like. But I think for me, it's about checking in now and again, getting a sense of whether I'm heading in the right direction, and then off we go. And to me, that's a healthy way to use the tarot. 
I agree. And I think that's a really good way to end this particular discussion. I, I want to encourage you, if you want to get readings or find out more about us, just go to our website, mysticraven.net. You can book readings there and we have some articles and a little bit more about us. And I, I hope this has been helpful for you to understand how we do our readings, what you can expect from us, and also maybe give you some tips for yourself if you're doing readings. So thank you for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a wonderful week.